0: we're going to do today is we're going to look at 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 through 8 but when you share that memory verse my mind went to um, the verse right after it so you're gonna gonna find 2nd Timothy 4 6 through 8 and then if you'll look at Ephesians chapter 1 and I think you guys memorized this last week verse 13 and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to launch from here. It wasn't my intention, but we're just going to launch from here today. But we're going to end up in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 in a moment. We'll read it together. But before we do, I just want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And I apologize. I know many of you have a New King James Version, if I had considered that. I typically use an ESV, so I'm reading from the ESV, um, both excellent versions. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. By the way, don't ever take that moment for granted. The moment you heard the truth and you believed in him. Like that was the moment that changed your eternal destiny. But he didn't just stop there. And that's what James was saying Jesus didn't just die for my sins, forgive me my sins, and send me to Mars. He actually said, no, I want you to be mine. I'm going to adopt you. Our fourth child is adopted, and our affection for Ryan is equal to our affection for the other three children. But notice this. You believed in him, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's that, That's the idea, that the moment you believe the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, and he's the guarantee. But notice the next part of the, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, which I love this picture. So the idea is here is that God is wanting you to know for sure that when you die, you go to heaven, and that it will be for his glory. And he says, what could I give you? as a promise. What could I do it to guarantee? So you would know for sure this is something you're, you're going to receive this inheritance. And He says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. So my wife and I, we got married when we were 19 years old. We were high school sweethearts. We met in youth group at church when we were 16. And sometimes people ask, why did you get married so young? Well, you saw her up here. She's beautiful. I'm not. So I figured while I have this girl committed to me, I better close the deal. And so we went to the snow. Now, for us, snow is not common. We live in Southern California. We took her up to the mountains and and I was gonna ask her to marry me there at 19 years old. And I had the ring she wears today. It's it's her same ring. And it was my grandma's ring. And I got her in the snow, and I slipped that ring on her finger, right? You, you know those moments. And I said, will you marry me? I caused us to have an accident, like we crashed in the snow, so I would end up below her, and I stood up, pulled it out of my jacket. <laughs> Kristen Reed slipped it on her finger. Will you marry me? She said, yes. Yay. I said, I'm so glad. <laughs> Before I lost my hair. It looked I looked better then. I I had lots of I looked like a beach boy, but nonetheless, I now I just look like a bald boy That ring I want you to catch the ring. I put on her finger. The one that she wears right now was my guarantee I'm gonna marry you This was my promise. I gave her a ring and here's why this is so important because if I had changed my mind Who keeps the ring? I know some girls are like, I'm going to give it back. I'm like, do not give it back. Melt it down and cash it in, sell it, whatever you want to do. But that was his guarantee. Are you following me right now? So when God wanted to make a guarantee to us, you've believed in my son. You want this promise of eternal life? I'm not going to give you a thing. I'm not going to give you a ring. I'm going to give you myself. And His Spirit comes to dwell within us. The reason that's so important and the reason that's going to tie into our message today is because the Apostle Paul is writing his literal final words to Timothy. He is about to die. I know that last week you started 1 Timothy, and I'm going to the end of the book in 2 Timothy. I'm telling you the end of the story, which is somewhat comical because in our household, my wife loves to read. She loves, she, she reads, she reads, she reads. And what's funny about it is her number one favorite style of book genre to read is historic fiction. And her favorite books are usually Christian romance books that are based from Britain. And they're Jane Austen kind of era books books that she reads. So for her going around all the she's just imagining like, I can see it now. And she's loving that. But my wife does the most curious thing. She reads the first chapter, and then she reads the last chapter. See, I tell her this. Lisa's back there going, how can you? But what she would say is it relieves all the stress. Like if I read the first chapter and I read the last chapter, I know how it turns out. I don't have to be stressed out for the whole book. So somebody just said, well, then why bother reading? I I realize that. But I want you to think about something for just a moment. So me coming today and giving you the last chapter after Kevin's given the first chapter, I think actually is going to help you on your journey. I hope that it does. I also hope that the fact that we've read the last chapter of the Bible and we know that our inheritance is guaranteed, that it should take all the stress out of this life. Like, I know how this ends up. Mm -hmm. This ends up good. I want you to notice something as we read the words I'm about to read from the Apostle Paul. Does he sound like a man who's stressed out? He doesn't, but he knows he's about to be executed. The time of his departure has come. He's looking back on his life. He's able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I did what God gave me on earth to do. And now I'm excited to get on to glory. So look at Second Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to ask if you would stand in honor of God's word. We'll have a short message today. It won't take me long to cover this. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I'm already being poured out, appearing. Father, thank you for your word. You wrote this book. You have given us your spirit not only as a seal, a guarantee of the inheritance we're going to receive, but also as the great teacher, the illuminator of the scriptures, the one who's able to help us understand what your book means. And we pray for that assistance even right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The Apostle Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. You might remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, which says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So therefore, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The judgment seat of Christ is is not the same thing as the great white throne judgment that you read about at the end of the book of Revelation. That's a place of judgment for sin. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then he has paid the penalty for your sin fully. There's nothing left. There are many that still live under a spirit of condemnation because the devil is the accuser of the brothers. My mom always has said this, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. I always tell my mom, I personally don't think it's a good idea to talk to the devil, but I understand your point. (laughs) But there is going to be a place of reward. This is not of judgment or penalty, but a place of reward. And it's called the bama seat judgment. It literally means the raised up seat. That's exactly what Paul, that's the judgment seat of Christ. And so the Bible teaches us that as believers, one day we will stand before Jesus, every single one of us, and we're going to give an account with what we did with the talents he gave us. What did you get do with the life I gave you in Christ? I had forgiven your sins, but my spirit came to live in you, and the spirit gave you a gift, a ministry, energy to use that gift. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8. What did you do with that? And that is the place of reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that some will get to heaven, but only as those escaping through the flames. I felt bad for my brother Brian up here when he said, Pants! because we know we've been told ahead of time <laughs> that our definitions are a little bit different. They even told us say trousers, not pants. <laughs> <laughs> but if I could go with that word pants, there are going to be some people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus and they're going to get into heaven because they're going to pass through the flames and God Jesus is even going to judge our motivations and they're going to get to heaven with only their pants on your meaning of pants not even trousers they're going to just get through and I'm going to say something right now that I want you to consider I think it's possible that there will be some people who have a saved soul and yet lived a wasted life and the apostle Paul is saying right here he hasn't wasted his life So let me just give you what I've called three keys to finishing well today, and we'll just take it right from our text. Three keys to finishing well, because I am convinced of this. We will live well if we think of the finish line. Pastor Kevin and I did run a marathon together. We ran the LA Marathon. He beat me by a large amount, but I'm sure he's told you the story, and I'm just here today because some of you are probably like, It couldn't have rained as hard as he said it rained. It was Southern California. It rained harder than he said it rained. It rained (laughs) so hard that day. And the only way you can finish a marathon is if you keep your eye on the finish line. So you will finish well if you live well, and you will live well if you live within his will. Your finishing well might not look like my finishing well because we have two different tasks to do. God's given you a job. He's given me a gift. He's given me a job. This isn't comparison. I'm going to prove it to you. It doesn't matter if Paul was an apostle, others are pastors, others are servants within the church, others have the gift of exhortation. It doesn't, it's not about what other people do. Are you faithful with what God's given you to do and how he's gifted you? I'll show that to you today. So here's three keys to finishing well. Number one is see death as transportation and not termination. See it as transportation, not termination. The world fears death. The world doesn't even want to talk about death. Because for them, it's the end, and it's actually the loss of all things. If you've only lived to accumulate things on this world, then you lose everything at death. If you're following Jesus and you're waiting for that eternal reward and that inheritance that the Holy Spirit has guaranteed for us, then actually that's when we get everything forever. The Apostle Paul, doesn't he say these words, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain? Like, we don't lose when we die, we actually gain. Somebody has said this, Do not fear death, fear the unlived life. For believers, that is so true. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Notice, if you will, in verse 6. First he says, For, When you see four there, you have to ask the question, What comes before that? So all you have to do is look at the verse right before that, and it's 2 Timothy 4.4, 4, where Paul says to Timothy, or 4.5 at the very end, Fulfill your ministry. Paul's about to die. Timothy is young. I think Timothy has, within him, his own nature, the old man, a spirit of timidity, fear. That's why Paul's always encouraging him. He even says, take a little wine for your stomach. You know what I think he's saying? Take some medicine for your upset stomach. And yet, Timothy's in a very difficult city. Ephesus was a very worldly city. There was persecution that was starting to come. Nero was now on the throne. He's persecuting the church. Paul's in his final days, and Paul is trying to challenge this young man. Don't give in, don't quit. He gives an example in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, of a verse 10 of a man named Demas who fell in love with this world, and so he deserted Paul. He he abandoned his calling because he loved the world so much. And so Paul's saying, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. So the connection is, I'm about to go, Timothy. You got to step up. You can't step back. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The word there literally is libation. We associate libation with an alcoholic beverage, but what he's referring to here is what would happen at the end of an offering. If you remember back in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 8, Numbers chapter 28, verses 4 and 7. What would happen is they would offer their daily sacrificial offerings, animal sacrifices, and at the end, they would pour out a drink offering on top of that. And that, was, that meant the end of the sacrifice. The sacrifice is now completed. What Paul is saying is, I've offered my body as a living sacrifice, and now this is my last offering to the Lord. In other words, I'm, this is it. Previously, Paul had been delivered from death in miraculous ways. When you read the book of Acts, CJ said he just taught through Acts. Like, There's so many times where he's delivered here, delivered there, left for dead, and yet he goes right back into Lystra after they beat him and they think he's dead. But in this case, Paul says, this is it. So you could say it this way, is Paul wouldn't be delivered from death, but he's going to be delivered by death. Because as believers, we see our death as a deliverance. From a sinful world, from a sinful nature. And we're delivered to Jesus. And so notice what he says I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Departure here is a euphemism, it's a traveling term. It means you're about to leave on a trip or on a journey one of our favorite vacations to take. And I don't know where maybe your favorite vacation is. We do live near Los Angeles. So we live by the port of Long Beach. We like to go on on cruises. And they're really short cruises. They're only four-day cruises. And they, they only cost, it's really five days, four nights, $500 for the whole cruise for both of us. So it's like that's really inexpensive, right? And they feed you food the whole entire time. So our goal when we get on the ship is to eat, $500 worth of food. So therefore, our rooms are free. It's good logic, isn't it? You're going to (laughs) go. Now, when my wife and I drive down on that Monday morning and we're waiting to get on that ship, are we in tears saying, oh, no, I don't want to go on this cruise. I can't believe we have to go on this cruise. I'm just so sad. Is it? No, we get there as soon as we can, because as soon as you get on the ship, all the food places are open. <laughs> so we don't even go to our room at first. We just go straight to the grill and we start eating. We have to eat $500 worth of food in the week, so we have to get on it. The Apostle Paul, here's what he's saying, though. If you think you're excited to get on a cruise ship for a week where they serve you a bunch of food, how do you think I feel? I'm about to go into eternity. Do you see what he's saying? I don't think you hear him Paul here like, I'm so sad, pray for me. I think it's more like, uh, Timothy, <laughs> sorry, buddy, but I'm out. <laughs> Feel the dog in me right now. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Listen to C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he says. Think of these words. Kevin, <laughs> Sorry, I can't. Okay, okay, okay. So what I've discovered on this trip is some of the young people at my church have things they say behind my back. Just, just Ryan and James. Came. Two of the young people on this trip, Brian and James, that they and they both work in the church office. And I didn't know it, but they've been imitating my expressions when I preach. And I guess this is one of them. And this is one of them. And you probably, now you're going to be distracted by them. And a few weeks ago in a sermon, I talked about how in, in, in a context of anxiety, that sometimes you, like, you feel like you have a dog barking in you, like, I, that, like, I've got the dog in me. And I guess in the United States, that's a term young people <laughs> use to say, like, they're all that, man. i got the dog in me, baby. So I just used it in the sermon to try to get them back. And it backfired because it made Kevin laugh way too much, which got me laughing. So here we are. C.S. Lewis has said this. Has the world been so kind to you that you should leave it with regret? There are better things ahead than any of us leave behind. Has this world been so kind to me that I would not want to leave it? Especially when I have a reward that's coming. Well, number two, number two, so we see death as transportation, at termination. Number two, seek to fulfill your God-given calling. Remember what Paul told Timothy? Fulfill your... Calling. The Spirit has given us all a gift for the common good. I think one of the main jobs of spiritual leaders, pastors, elders, leaders in the church, women's ministry leaders, and really a job that we have to all of one another is to help each other use the gifts God's given us for the building up of the body. That we should be churches that are raising up leaders and eventually maybe even sending those leaders out. Paul makes this point by using two athletic terms. Look at verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. So he uses a boxing analogy and then also a running analogy. I have kept the faith. So, so first, these two common athletic terms. I just want you to notice these words. I have fought the good or the noble fight. The word fight there is agone in the Greek, and you can hear it if you listen to it. It's agony. I've agonized, but it's been a good fight. The other day, a man came to me, and he said, I just know I'm in God's will when everything is going smoothly, when everything's going well. And I'm like, actually, it's the opposite. If everything's going well, I wonder, are you doing anything that disrupts the devil at all? Like there's no opposition? See, I would say... Resist the temptation to quit just because things are hard. I'm also not going to say just because things are hard. It means you're in God's will. But what I'm saying is, we're willing to fight the fight of the faith. So he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. The word there is teleoi, and it's the same word that Jesus uses when he's on the cross. And he says, it is finished. It is finished. So what he's saying is, is, there was a course that was laid out for me, and I ran every single mile. A marathon is actually 26.2 miles. If you run 26 miles, you don't get the little, you know, medal they give you at the end. And so you must go all the way to the finish. So what Paul's saying here, he's, he's gone all the way to the very end. And then I, I love this. And by the way, when you think of the Apostle Paul, you say, well, what, how did he suffer? In fact, Jesus told him, didn't he? In Acts chapter 9, at his conversion, Jesus appears to him, Paul, opens his eyes. I love it too. Because he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you get that? When people come against you because you're a Christian, it's not really you they're fighting. It's Jesus. So don't take it so personal. And just know that he identifies with that opposition. Opposition. But then he says to Ananias, remember he says, Ananias, go tell him, go, go see Saul. And remember, I love Ananias too, because he goes, um, Jesus, have you not heard that he kills Christians, right? Remember Stephen, like really? And, and he goes, go tell him that he, how much he must suffer for my name and that he's going to be this apostle to the Gentiles. And I just think about that. Would you receive that calling if you were Saul? Like, okay, I'm here to tell you, you're going to suffer much. For the name of Jesus. I know you just met him, but you're going to suffer much for him. I don't know what's going on over here in Wales, but in America, there are a lot of preachers who are promising people if they follow Jesus, they're going to get wealthy, wise, they're going to have all these things on the earth. And I'm kind of like the Apostle Paul, if it were possible, would be flipping around in his grave hearing people say that. The Apostle Paul just said he agonized in his service to the Lord. It doesn't mean that we should be ascetics, meaning never find any enjoyment, never find any, that. That is not what it means because Paul also says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that God's given us all things to enjoy. So when you get together, I, I heard it in this room tonight as you're gathering this afternoon, I see the joy. Like I, I, you can feel like, oh, that's amazing. I felt it yesterday morning, the men being together, the camaraderie, the excitement that's there because we're brothers in Christ. And the I heard about it from the team, like. Those are good things. Enjoy your children. They're gifts. But it doesn't mean your service to the Lord is always going to be easy. You should think of it more like a marathon. The Apostle Paul And 2 Corinthians 11 says this, verse 23 I have worked much harder. I've been jailed more often, beat up more times than I can count. I'm at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews, 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times. I mean, he says, pummeled with rocks once. He was shipwrecked. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul was your youth pastor and he took you to youth camp and you're going to go swimming? He takes his shirt off, and it's full of scars. That's credibility. This man is sold out. And notice he says, I've kept the faith. Some people think that that means that he's never turned his back on Jesus through the suffering, that he held on to his faith. It, it could mean that, honestly. But I think in the context of 1st and 2nd Timothy, I think it's more likely what he's saying is he faithfully guarded the truth, the good deposit. Let me just show you something for a moment. Turn back to 1st Timothy chapter 6 verse 20. I think I think what Paul's saying here is he didn't water down, he didn't in any way compromise the truth of the gospel, even though there is much cultural pressure. Listen to what he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.20. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. You see that? I think what he's saying is, is that he had guarded the deposit. God has deposited the gospel in us. We have his word. And I think what he's saying is, is I stuck to what's in the book which I don't know what's happening over here, but I can tell you in America, that's less and less common. There's more and more churches that don't actually even use their Bibles very often. They don't carry them. I would say to you as a church, if you want to expect something from your leaders, expect them to teach this book. And hold each other to that. So when I was a kid growing up, we had a dog. And it was... It was, I I mean, honest, this was the ugliest dog ever born on the planet. It really was. It had teeth that hung out all directions. Its hair was like matted. It was just, it was just everything about the dog. Everything was disproportionate. And not only did it have physical problems. In fact, the dog was so ugly, we called it gorilla. The dog was gorilla. That was the dog's name. And and not only did it have physical problems, it had emotional problems. You know, a dog had emotional problems? We we couldn't find a counselor for the dog, but this dog would sit by the bag of dog food, just sit there all day long, and growl. <laughs> Nobody's around, just like, rrr, rrr. it's just a little tiny dog, rrr. and we're like, girl, like, come on, rrr. just but here's the thing, though. I think the dog in its mind was guarding the dog food, even though no one was trying to take it. I think the dog thought, I'm, I'm a guard dog. I'm guarding the good deposit. Here's the weird thing. We spend so much of our lives trying to guard things that in the end won't be any more valuable than dog food, including in our houses and our cars and our possessions, And we're guarding things that have temporary value. When we really should be doing is guarding our hearts, guarding the word, being vigilant. You say, well, how do we guard the word? It's super easy. It's really easy. It is. Know it, live it, teach it. That's how you guard the word. Know it, live it, teach it. If you just know the word and you don't live it, you're actually not guarding the word. You're harming the word hypocrisy causes others to not trust in the word. But also if we teach it, if we're passing it on to the next generation, we're guarding it. We're protecting it. I just want to get you to the third point today because I'm about out of time. Set your hope on eternal rewards. Set your hope on eternal rewards. Look at verse eight. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. I love this. The idea here is is that it's being stored. It's being protected in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible tells us that we have this inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. So it's protected, it's guarded. So what he's saying is like I'm investing in something that actually cannot be taken away. Because God is guarding that deposit, that inheritance, as I said earlier. The Spirit's the guarantee. But what I love is verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we ourselves are being guarded protected for that day so the inheritance is protected and so is the one who will inherit it here's the amazing picture here paul says something that blows my mind i hope it blows your mind as well henceforth there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day what day the day of his return the the the, the bama seat judgment day like that day when Jesus comes back and he rewards his children. But notice he's a righteous judge. Do you ever feel like not everything in this life is fair? Do your kids ever say to you, Mommy, that's not fair. That's my British accent. There you got it. That's it right there. That was it. Yesterday we were coming through the airport or Friday we were coming through the airport and Brian tried out a British accent at the passport thing. And the guy, right before he got there, one of the men there, he says, if you try that up there, he said it in a British accent, I'm gonna, he goes, if you try that up there, they're going to send you right back on the plane. So he did not. I have enjoyed hearing your imitations of American accents. They're very, what we would call Southern. Like, how y'all doing? I'm like, we don't sound like that. Sometimes... I wonder what language we're going to speak in heaven, what accent we'll have in heaven. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Californian. Welsh. (laughs) And we all said, we don't care. You know why? Because we'll be speaking all the same language there. And it's going to be to the praise of Jesus. Isn't that going to be awesome? Honestly, have you thought about that even as we're here? We're all going to end up in heaven together. It's crazy. Maybe we'll have a little Californian-Welsh, you know, reunion one day. The only question will be, will we have British breakfast or American breakfast? That'll be the question. Either way, it's going to be good. (laughs) Henceforth, there's later for me the crown of righteousness. Okay, let me just say this for just a moment. The crown of righteousness, that, that could be It could be. Some people think it means, I'm not as inclined to this, that this is just the righteousness that we're clothed in because we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I I, I think that that is true, by the way. Jesus didn't just die for my sins. He lived a perfect life, so now I possess his righteousness. That's the only way I get to heaven. Okay, So I I do, yes. But I think in this case, this is one of the crowns. The Bible talks about the crown of life. James 1 talks about the crown. The crown of righteousness, I think it's the crown of right living. It's the people who lived, not for the temporary, but for the eternal. And some people would say, I don't need a crown when I get to heaven. I just want to get to heaven. And I would say, that's foolish thinking. Because in Revelation chapter 4, the Bible says the 24 elders, which I am persuaded is the representation of the church, I think that's us, will lay their crowns down before the Lamb who is worthy. So, so we won't be going around heaven going, look at the size of my crown. No, we're going to be going, this was for you. <sighs> Not only was it for you, but as Ethan read, this was by you and for you. you. You did it all. You gave me the gift. You gave me the ministry. You gave me the ability. That's for you. <sighs> mm. That scene in Revelation 4 of heaven, that's another picture. We're going to be there for that moment. And then then he says this, the righteous judge. The reason I say righteous, I had mentioned, do your kids ever say that's not fair? It will be fair. So sometimes you feel like on earth, like nobody's noticing. And actually what Jesus would say is good for you that nobody notices. Because Matthew 6 says, don't do your deeds to be seen before men because your father won't reward you in heaven. So it's actually to your advantage. The righteous judge will award to me on that day. But here's the part I want you to catch. And we're going to end with this. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing or longed for his appearing. So Paul's going, this isn't an apostle's reward, crown. This is a crown for all believers who live rightly because they're living in light of eternity. I once heard it said this way, that we should live this day in light of that day. Live this day, today, in light of that day, the day of his appearing. If you want to finish well, you'll live well. If you want to live well, live in God's will for your life, not in God's will for anybody else's life. What does he have for you to do? Listen to 1 Corinthians 15:58, and I'll close with this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, and I, and I do say this, I know we don't really know each other well, but you are our brothers and sisters. And C.J. said it at the beginning of the service, and it's true. There is this affection we have for you. There's a church in a desert, and we are in a desert where we live, in Lancaster, California. When I look out this window and I see all this green, we we don't see that. I've been the pastor at the church for 24 years. I've been at this church for 32 years. Moses had to wander around the desert for 40 years. Sometimes I find myself wondering, eight more years, Lord? Eight more years? And then I look at Kevin living here in Wales and I think, what did I do wrong? (laughs) CJ was not exaggerating. And honestly, I talked to our missions pastor that night, that Saturday night. Kevin had said, You're trying to build this by this building. He's talking about the interest rate. The Lord kind of just stirred our hearts to just say, what if there are people here that would just kind of carry that whole loan? And then we just do it at a much, much, much lower interest rate. And then what would that, you know, and honestly, it's the weirdest thing in the world, right? For a pastor to stand up at the end of a service and just say, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. I get home that night. My missions pastor, I said, if you're interested, see Pastor Brad. He's our missions pastor. I think he's been here before you've seen him. He called me that night in tears. And Pastor Brad doesn't cry a lot. And I got tears. Because he said, Chris, people have pledged the whole amount. This is before we even get to church on Sunday. So that's why Sunday, when I said, well, the loan amount of this is already secure. But we still want to tell you about this. And then that's when people started to come and say, well, then I'll give cash. I'll give money. And I'm thinking, that I'm like. What? What kind of dogs in this church? <laughs> and then I realized, you know what? You know what it is? There is this brotherhood. That, like there's this, like we're part of the same kingdom. And we are the kingdom being built. It doesn't matter where. And you have that same heart. Like you're like, no, this is. So listen to this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. What's he talking about? 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection of Jesus. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Here it is because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So the Apostle Paul says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Bon voyage. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? I long to see you there. Let me pray. Father, my heart is indeed overwhelmed with gratitude. To be here in this place with your people. And Lord, in just a little bit, maybe even right now, the saints in Lancaster are gathering to worship you. So Lord, as you hear worship from here, and you hear worship over there, and all over this globe, may you be pleased. May you just be so blessed at your family, your children... Your sons and daughters who love you so much. And Lord, the thought that one day an ocean will not separate us. We will be in the presence of Jesus together. And Lord, I pray that you would right now help us to live this day in light of that day. And until we're reunited, Lord, I pray that we would finish the race you have for us. Help us, Lord, to go all the way to the end in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris.